Welcome to the New Life Baptist Podcast. Our mission is to love the Great Commandment, live the Great Commission, and lead one more to Jesus Christ. We thank you for listening, and we hope that you are encouraged today as we dive into God's Word. Well, amen. If you got your Bibles with you, turn to Matthew chapter 7, going to be in verse 24. And today we finish up the Sermon on the Mount. Pastor John will start a new series next week. I'm not going to tell you what it is because you got to come find out, right? you got to come hear what we're going to be doing next week as we start a new series. Can't wait uh, to see what Pastor does with that. But today we have Jesus' last words of his first sermon that we have recorded in the book of Matthew. We'll start with an illustration that you're probably very familiar with, a story as a kid that you have heard probably a hundred times and you know by heart, the story of the three little pigs and the big bad wolf. It's a story that is classic and timeless that we know, and I want to give you a summation of what that story really is. There's three little pigs, and each one sets to build a a house, a structure that they can live in, dwell in, have safety and security. The first pig finds some straw, builds a house out of straw. The second one builds a house out of sticks. The third one builds a house out of bricks. Well, one day the big bad wolf comes walking along, and he smells the pig in the house. He comes to the straw house, and he huffs and he puffs, and he blows the house down. He comes along to the second pig. The first one was pretty, pretty yummy. So he comes to it, desires it as well. Smells the second pig and says, man, I want that pig. And so he comes to the pig. You remember all the details of the chinny chin chin, right? And he says, uh, I'm going to huff and puff and blow your house down. And he does. And once again, the house of sticks is blown down and the pigs are in for doom. The third pig comes along, the the house is there, the wolf comes up to the third house, it's made of bricks, he looks at the pig, wants the pig once again, smells the pig, pig says, not by the hair of my chinny chin chin, right, I'm not going to open that door, says he huffs and he puffs, and he huffs and he puffs, and with all his strength and all his might, he couldn't blow the house down. It's a story we learn as kids, but it's such a powerful truth, and if we look at what it really means, there's two pigs that have a false security. There's two pigs who have built something and invested in something that would bring them peace and comfort and security. There's this assurance they have, but they're deceived because the big bad wolf comes and he blows it away with little effort. It's only the house that has a foundation that stands in the face of everything. Jesus, as we've been walking through the Sermon on the Mount, has kind of turned what they thought was the kingdom of God upside down. The religious leaders of that day had created so many man-made rules and and different ideas and theologies that Jesus has to come in and basically retrain them on what it means to follow Jesus, to know the Lord your God, to follow him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so he lays down for them, here's what it means to follow God. Here's what it means to know God. Not all these things that the religious leaders have said of that day. He expounds upon the word of God and he calls out false religions. He says that there in verse 13, There is a narrow gate. It's a gate that is hard that leads to life. Can I say that's truly the gospel? To not sugarcoat it or to water it down in any kind of way, but it is a miracle for people to be saved. It truly is a miracle of God when someone says yes to Jesus Christ, repents from their sin, and turns and gives their life to him. In fact, it's such a miracle that Jesus says very few will find it. But it says that there are many What a horrifying reality. There are many who will walk through a wide gate in an easy way, and in its end, it leads to destruction. Jesus continues to point out the false religions of that day. And what's incredible is he doesn't go and pick apart all the different religions of the day that were pagan. He picks apart the ones who truly said that they knew him. 
It was within the, the own walls of the synagogue and the temple that he found corruption and he found false religions. And so he spends time in verses 15 through 20 talking about the false prophets, about how they would only produce bad fruit and there was nothing good in them. And then he talks about in verses 21 through 23 with Pastor John last week, the fact that there'll be many who come and say, Lord, we did incredible things for you. And he's going to say, be gone for me. I never knew you, you workers of lawlessness. See, there's false prophets and there's false professors. False professions that we truly belong to Jesus Christ. And so Jesus, because he loves us, wants to know the truth today. This is a heavy topic. This is a weighty scripture that we have. But as we walk through it, it's because God loves us that he wants us to know where we stand. And the reality of that is with these two different believers, or two different builders. So Matthew 7, if you're able to stand with me, let's stand as we read God's word and we jump into this text this morning. It says in Matthew 7, starting in verse 24, it says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. This is the living word of God. Amen, church? Amen. You guys have a seat. So Jesus gives us a picture of two different builders, two different builders, and he's trying to teach us a parable of two different foundations. Now, we look at the similarities in these builders. We look at the text. They both built in a similar area because they're hit by the same storm. They both built a house on the outside that looks completely identical, very comparable, but there's one big difference you can't see, and it's the foundation the builders chose to use. They both build and plenish and finish their homes. They work hard. They grow, they grind right, and they get through, and they build their houses. But when a storm comes, there's only one that's able to stand. I think Jesus, if looking at the context of the rest of this passage, what he's really trying to do is not tell us that there's different believers here that have foundations, but there is someone who is truly saved and knows the Lord and lives by faith. And then there's those who are not. So the first builder, he says, is the builder who builds on the rock. As we look at these different false religions he's talking about, one of the ones, I don't know if it's a made-up word that I made up today, if it's already out there, but I think what Jesus is trying to show us in today's culture, there's something I would call churchianity. There's people who love the church, who feel good when they come to church, who love the things of God, who like to be involved in the work of God because it makes them feel good, it gives them purpose, it gives them reason, it gives them something greater than themselves. There's probably people sitting in here today who are here because they love to see what's going on. They love the social aspect. They love the life groups, the community. They love the good things that the church stands for. They're all about the church, and they love the church, but the church is here for Jesus Christ. The church is here to worship and glorify the Father and the Son. We don't come to church because we're New Life Baptist Church. We come to church because Jesus Christ died for the church and gave his life up for us. And so there's this false religion that we would call churchianity that Jesus would say this, looking at these two builders— Jesus is saying for us today, there's going to be people who go to the same church like these builders because they built in the same area. They're going to look just like everybody else. They're going to come and attend and maybe even serve and give. They're going to look just like the real deal on the outside, just like these two houses that were very comparable to each other. 
They probably even both had a lot of the same spiritual goals and disciplines. They were probably truly convinced they belonged to the family of God and were a child of God. You see, both builders trusted in what they had built and what they had accomplished and put and striven for their lives. They both trusted in their homes, but they both understood that they needed something to be secure. I'll tell you, this room is full of people, right, who know they need salvation, who know they need Jesus Christ, who knows that sin separates them. But the difference is this, there's going to come a storm, a day, when we will stand before God and he will either say, well done, good and faithful servant, or depart from me, I never knew you. And the reality of this is today is that many people who go to church are deceived of themselves that because they go to church and they have churchianity, all the church things, and they look the part that they're going to get into heaven and God's going to say, be gone and depart from me. What a weighty thing Jesus would tell us. What incredible truth he has for us because he loves us and he desires that none should perish but all should have everlasting life. Did you know that's how God views you? God desires for you to know him truly and to truly be saved and to follow him. And so then what does it mean to know that you know that you know? How do we truly know? In a world full of those who would be false prophets and people full of their own self-deception, that, hey, I said a prayer, I walked an aisle, I got in a church and I got involved, so, man, I'm good to go. And Jesus would say it's so much more than that. Go back to verse 24. He says, everyone then who hears these words of mine. What are the words that he has said? Well, if you go back to chapter five, I'm gonna quickly just highlight what he said throughout this sermon. He gives us what it means to truly follow him, to know him. He gives us the beatitudes of how we're supposed to act, the kind of spirit we're supposed to have. He tells us we're to be salt and light. He tells us that he came to fulfill the law, not to do away with the law and the prophets of God. He tells us how to deal with anger, with lust, with divorce, with oaths, with retaliation. He tells us to love our enemies. He tells us to give to the needy. He teaches us how to pray and have a relationship with the Lord and how to enhance that through fasting. He tells us not to lay up treasures in heaven, to be anxious for nothing, but seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to us. He tells us not to judge others. He tells us to simply go to him as a good and perfect father to ask and it will be given. He tells us the golden rule to do unto others as we would have them do unto us. And then he tells us, in all of this, you're gonna find false prophets and false professions of faith. And so build your house on the rock. And he says, here's how you do it. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them. See, that's the difference. There are many who hear the word of God, who sit under the teaching of God, but they don't truly do what God has called them to do. The first builder we know builds upon the rock. And how do we know what the rock is? And 1 Corinthians 3, 9, 11, Paul tells us, he says, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. And here's the verse. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. This resonated with his audience, with the people there that are hearing him speak. Because in Palestine in that day, it was arid, it was dry, it was a lot of flat land. And so when the rain would come, it would truly flood the entire land and wash everything away like a mighty river, like a stormy raging current. Because the land couldn't soak up the water, couldn't absorb it. And so this first man is one who hears the words of God. He does them, and God says, that is the wise man. I don't know about you, but I want to be a wise man today, right? I don't want to be a fool, right? As Mr. T says, we pity the fool, right? I want to be a wise man. 
And so a wise man is one who builds his house upon the rock. And why is it so important that we build our house upon the rock? Verse 25 says, And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Now, I don't know what the rain and the winds and the flood really represent here. It could be top trials, could be tests, could be temptations, could be tribulations. It could be all these things, but truly I believe this. And looking at the context of what God has given us in his other words here in his sermon, I think this is truly representation of the judgment day, the day that we stand before God. And he says that only those who are on Jesus Christ, founded upon him, a life that is built upon his word, and not just his word, but doing his word, are those who will stand. He says that's a wise man. But then he gives us the other side. He says once again, in verse 26, and everyone who hears these words of mine, what words? The word of God, and does not do them will be like a foolish man. Man, nobody wants to be a fool. Nobody wants to strive their whole life building something only to know that it all crumbles with a simple splash. That it's easily taken away and destroyed. But this other man, he built upon the sand. And why is sand so important? Have you ever played with sand before, but it's super easy to move it, to manipulate it? In fact, you go to the beach and you get these like overpriced little things that build sandcastles, right? You pack it full of sand, you put some water in there, you stuff it down there, and either a five-year-old little kid walks by and destroys it immediately, or the wave just splashes it and it's all gone. That's what it means to build your life involved in the things of God without God. To live your whole life thinking you've made it but you've never truly followed and listened to the Lord. I think sometimes we get busy in our lives building sandcastles that at the end of the day are going to amount to nothing. And they're simply going to be taken away and utterly destroyed. And because God loves us, he wants us to be able to understand and to know what to do in this situation. How do we know that we know that we know? How can you truly rest assured in a world full of people who are deceived and those who would want to deceive us, that you truly are of the family of God. Both groups hear the word of God. Both groups experience the elements against the house. A lot of similarities, but one house stands while the other falls. And here's what I'd love for us to do today. I'd love for us to look at the foundation of our lives. Truly, really, as Paul would say, examine our lives and see whether we are in the faith. And how do we do that? How do we know that we're wise? How do we know that we've built upon the rock? He says it simply by doing what I've told you. You see, there's this word here that's a lot of times not mentioned in the gospel, and it's one called obedience. When you truly come to Jesus Christ and you give your life to him, you give your all to him, then you're saying, for the rest of my life, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to listen to you. You are going to be my God and my master and my Lord, and there will be none other like you. No one but God. I would encourage you with this. I think that truly Jesus either has all of you or he has none of you. Has all of you or has none of you. And so that you know it's not Pastor Cody's opinion on what it means to know that you're saved and to follow God. There's a lot of scripture. I mean, I just took some of them. I'm going to read them to you, so bear with me. But all of this scripture points to the fact that if we truly follow God, if we truly build upon the rock, then our lives will match our lips. It says in Romans 1.5, Jesus Christ the Lord, though whom we, through whom we receive grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith. If you have faith, there's truly an obedience 
In John 15, 12 and 14, he says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Then he gives us the charge, you are my friends, if what? You do what I command you. John 14, 15 says, if you love me, how do we know we love God? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Second John 1 says, and this is love. What is love? What does it mean to love God? That we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment just as you have heard from the beginning so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is a deceiver in the Antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for but may win a full reward. And here's what we see. Another part of this. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide, who does not remain, who is not obedient in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. Romans 2 says this, he will render each one according to his what? Works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey in righteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. And here's where it is once again. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the what? The doers of the law who will be justified. We're getting through it. James 1 says this, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. He's so clear. I love that scripture always testifies and speaks and agrees with itself. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forget what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and unafiled before God, the Father, is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Got two more. John 3 says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Hebrews says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering that we just talked about and sang about. For he who promises faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And here's where it is once again. For if we go on sinning deliberately, that's a kicker. If we go on sin, sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. 
The last one is 1 John 3. It says, No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. I mean, that's just a small bit of Scripture that points to the fact that if you truly follow God, you're going to obey him that your life will match your lips. How do we know that? Because he says back in the part where he says, I never knew you. There's lots of people who with their lips say, God, we did all these things. We did all these works. We were pastors and preachers and deacons and life group leaders and church members. We gave a lot. We did a lot. God, we did all these things on the outside, but Jesus sees the heart and he says to them in their heart of wickedness, be gone from me, you workers of what? Lawlessness. I never knew you. It means they had churchianity, but they did not have Christ in their heart. They did all these good things, but in their heart, they continued to deliberately sin. Now, what does this mean? It doesn't mean that we were saved by works, right? The Bible says we're saved by grace through faith. It's not of works so that no one can boast. And so it's faith in Christ that saves us. But here's the truth. If Christ has truly saved you, your faith and your life are going to be evident by what you do, by who you follow. Does it mean we're going to be perfect? Absolutely not. Man, can I tell you that Pastor Cody fails daily? My wife can agree more than anybody, right? Pastor Cody falls short of the glory of God every single day. But the word in there that we need to do as Christians to look towards and to practice is called repentance. And it's not just a one-time thing where you say, I say a prayer, I got baptized, I'm in the church, I'm doing all the churchianity things. No, repentance is truly being sorrowful over your guilt, beating your chest and saying, woe am I a sinner? God, would you forgive me? And God, I don't want that anymore. Repentance, I like to put it as this way, but we're walking towards hell. We're walking towards death and sin and this old self, this old life. We hear the gospel. We hear it, we receive it. Then we begin to do what God has called us to do, to make disciples, to care for people, to love people, to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, love our neighbors ourselves. In those two things is the full fulfillment of the law. Repentance is what truly it means to be saved and to have the gospel in your heart and to know the Father and the Son. Doesn't mean we're going to be perfect, but here's what I would say, that Jesus would tell the woman caught in adultery, go and sin no more. What does that mean? Hey, go and be perfect. No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying you've got a lifestyle that is adultery and affairs with other men. Don't go do that anymore. Because what I have for you is so much better. Because what I have for you is everlasting and eternal life. And life abundantly on top of that. See, for those who are truly saved, we know that what God has is so much better than this world. We know that we're able to overcome sin because the overcomer lives in us. The one who's overcome the world and the little G God that is the devil. It's out of a devotion of love for God that marks the true believer and has built his life upon the rock. And I think too many times, man, we, we rest in assurance and we trust that because we do the church stuff, because we do the game, right, from the outside we look like everybody else, but inside we're dead and dying and decaying, and we can't overcome sin, we can't win. Man, I would just tell you, if your life doesn't look like Christ, then there's, Christ is not in your life. And that's out of love and truth. Man, I will tell you, that is my testimony. I grew up in church in the Bible Belt like everybody else. I heard a guy preach about hell, said, I don't want to go there. Let's say this prayer. Let's get baptized. Let's get dunked. Let's open up the Bible occasionally. Let's pray whenever things are hard. But then as a young adult, man, truly, I saw that I did not know God. 
that my life on Sunday and Wednesday were totally different than the rest of the week. In private, there was sin and there were strongholds in my life that continued to overwhelm me. And I had no power to overcome no matter how hard I tried. And finally, the Lord said, you're lost. You've built your life upon sand and not the rock. You look like everybody else and nobody else even knows that you're not saved. But I know, and you truly know in your heart, I'm so thankful that God taught me, that God drew me, that he called my name, that he allowed me another chance to come and to repent. Dr. Sid, I love him, made me come before the whole church and tell him what happened. Said, hey, I want you to come tell everybody that you were faking it and now you're saved. And I'm here today because of God's faithfulness. And I can look at my life and I'm not perfect in any kind of way, but I know I built upon the rock because I follow God. I try to do all that I can, not perfect, but striving. That's what he says. He says, the narrow way is hard. It's so hard. You know, so many people look at Christians and say, man, that's so weak. You have to have a God. You have to have somebody else. Man, can I tell you how much strength it takes to deny yourself and to follow Jesus every single day, to not chase after the pleasures of this world, but to try to overcome? And as a Christian, man, I am weak. I need God. I need his strength, his power, and his might. Because I'm going to stand before him one day, and if it was anything but Jesus Christ, it's going to be utterly destroyed. So God, because he loves us, would tell us, what kind of life have you built? Is it one that's a sandcastle, or have you built upon the rock that's a fortress? I'd love for you just to examine your life right now, and just pray that God would search you, that you would know that you know that you know of where you're going to stand when you stand before God and what he's going to say. Because I promise you this, if there's sin in your life that you don't repent of, that you continue in sin with no repentance, no change, I promise you, I don't think you're saved. Because God would say that it's those who do what I command that follow me. Being about the kingdom of God. Proverbs 10, 25 says, when the tempest passes, the wicked is no more, but the righteous is established forever. Kind of your big takeaway is this. It's just a statement that hopefully you'll cling to. It says, your foundation today will determine your future tomorrow. A foundation based upon not just hearing the word of God, but heeding the word of God. So worship team comes back up. There's an illustration I like to do to try to convey what this means today. And I would say this, kind of looking at the two builders in a similar way of our lives, we all can agree this is a chair, right? You can say, yes, it's participatory. All right, this is all, I can agree that this is a chair. Do you believe this is a chair? Okay, you would say that this is a well-made chair, even a guy like me, we can sit in it, right? And know it's gonna support us and it's gonna keep us secure. And so there's a lot of people who say, man, I know I need to rest. I know I need to embrace something I can't stand forever, right? I need something to put my faith and my trust in. And so I believe in this chair. I believe it's here for me. I believe it's so good that I sit in this chair. But here's what a lot of Christians do. I'm going to look like a fool because this is what it's supposed to be. A lot of Christians do this. They go, okay, I'm here, right? I'm here. I'm trusting. I'm resting. This is my faith. But they never truly embrace what God has. They never truly give. And there's no way I can stand up here forever. There's no way in my own strength and power I'm easily tossed to and fro. And so what it means to put your faith in Jesus is to truly trust and rest. It's not just believing, it's trusting. It's submitting. It's giving your life, your all to him. So even a simple chair, right? We can look at it from every perspective and say, okay, the fool is the one who simply hovers, who's around the activity. But it's those who are disciples of Jesus Christ who embrace the life that he has for them. 
We thank you for listening. Be sure to click the subscribe button on this podcast so you don't miss out on any and all of our future content. We pray you were encouraged by the word of God today. If you feel that the Lord is leading you to make a decision or have questions, you can reach us on Facebook, Instagram, or at our website at newlifebaptist.faith.